Hello, welcome to Malkia Talks, a real time theory podcast. I am Rob, your host, and today I am joined by the fabulous Jess. How are we doing, Jess? I'm well. I'm fabulous, apparently. That's why. Yes. <laughs> I've always, I've always thought of you as fabulous. You always have that sort of persona when I hear you talk or when you're on your, your YouTube channel or anything like that. So I think it's an appropriate descriptor. So. No? It's good to have much. you here. <laughs> it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm glad, glad to have you here. Before we dive into the topic today, why don't you tell the folks a little bit like who you are and what you do? Of course. Um, my name is Jess. I am the Amerlin Seat at the Amerlin Study. That is my YouTube channel. I do reaction videos to the things that um, Wadam Prime drops. And I also am doing real-time read reactions to the audiobooks. So I listen along and uh, I have real-time reactions and, and discussion points in the course of listening to the books. And I do counted cross stitch while I do that. And I call it stitch and bitch. And it's fun. <laughs> so um, <laughs> uh, aside from that, I also host Tar Valen After Dark alongside Recapacidae and Nablus. It's um, part sketch comedy, part TV show news, um, part Wheel of Time discussion, and just, you know, general uh, nonsense and chat. And uh, we're having a lot of fun with it. You should be. It's hilarious to listen to. Um, <laughs> I, I I have to commend you on your restraint uh, for the Moraine reveal. Uh, what's that, last week now? Week and a half ago? Um, uh -huh. Where we on Sunday? Yeah, so like, yeah. Because you didn't watch it when it came out and you deliberately then set up to record later and then watched it. I was like, that that took a lot of patience. I'm impressed. It was so, so hard. <laughs> oh, it was so hard, but I couldn't, like, I had to be really careful because like that's in the middle of my work day. And I know that if I start it in the middle of my work day, I'll get hyper-focused on it. And then all of a sudden I'm not actually working. I'm doing this other thing. So I had to shut everything down and it was exceedingly difficult. And I did actually end up, um, I did actually end up doing it sooner in the day than I had intended. I just couldn't wait anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. It was uh, it was an awesome I did reveal. Even... Put it off a couple hours. That, that's good. That's impressive. I mean, it's the Moraine reveal. It's we were expecting Moraine or something blue. So you know, yeah. it's yeah, impressively done. Well, nice. And thank, uh, you. As, thank you very much. <laughs> sorry. And as we said, the the podcast with Nablus and Recapa is hilarious. Um, I love some thank of the, the sketches and jokes, and it's good discussion. Although. I did listen the other week. Uh, I'm not caught up on, on – I've, I've had a crazy week myself trying to get stuff. Oh. I've uh, Issues that were – despite the fact I'm not at work, I was on call this week and, you know, there was some drama go down. So I had to pop in and, like, fucking hang around for energy to turn up and fix a window and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, not fun <laughs> for me. But um, So I'm playing catch-up on things. So I haven't got to the latest one yet. But the last one I listened to, you were talking about Matt and the way that uh, Brandon wrote him a little bit. And the boot scene, and I have to say, I'm one of those people that likes the boot scene. But I could understand why you didn't like it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, I mean, it, it's different. <laughs> it's different. Yeah, it's you know, and in, in you know, my my opinions on stuff will very likely change because I've only gotten through the last half of the series once. Um, so there's so much that I don't remember. And obviously, you know, getting through it, looking at it from, you know, you're a different person now than you were the last time you read it, right? Because oh, absolutely, people evolve, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're looking at it through a different lens or, or whatever. So I, I know that uh, opinions on things will probably change, but that's kind of part of the fun, you know? Absolutely. Yes. I've, I've listened to the ending once, read it twice, um, and... 
I have a different appreciation for it than the first time I read through. And also, mm-hmm. we'd waited. We, you know, we'd gone through the expectation of Robert Jordan dying. Wow, that sounded really bad. I didn't mean it the way that came across. <laughs> Sorry. Very sadly, and I do mean very sadly, Robert Jordan died. And then we mm-hmm. had the expectation that there would be no more books because of that. And then we found out that there would be books. And so we went through that. You know, the whole roller coaster of losing Robert Jordan and, and then the story and getting it back and such to then get, mm-hmm. you know, the first of the three books. There was massive expectation there. And, and so I can understand when people read it and thought, this isn't quite the same or this wasn't done, you know, like this worked, but this little bit didn't and, and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, no, okay. I was going to say, I, I, when I picked up the books, I didn't expect it to be the same, but at least mm-hmm. feel similar. And for me, it was. So I was happy. Um, but I know many people just weren't happy unless they, um, well, not not suggesting you. I was saying I've, I've spoken to other people over the years, and they're like, "Well, it wasn't uh-huh. Robert Jordan's writing, so it wasn't okay." <laughs> oh, okay. Well, my my impression when I started the first of the Sanderson books, and I actually started reading the series the first time um, while Robert Jordan was still alive, um, and then I had dropped off and was not like part of the zeitgeist. I had no idea that he had been ill. I had no idea that he had passed away. Um, and then I was talking about it with a friend at work and kind of got brought up to speed on all of that stuff. So I, I knew that Brandon Sanderson had taken it over. I had never read any of Sanderson's stuff. So I really didn't know what to expect. And, you know, my initial thought going through it, you know, the first time was I thought that he actually did a pretty good job. I agree. Yeah. You know, I didn't notice there wasn't a distinct... There wasn't a distinct enough difference in writing style or anything like that that distracted me from it. Um, So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's a success because, you know, trying to emulate another writer's style has got to be almost impossible. Oh, absolutely. Particularly Robert Jordan's style. Um, Yeah, exactly. I mean, when I, so I wasn't in like deep in the fandom. I only had the Facebook groups back then, but Mm -hmm. I knew he had not been well and then had died. And then Brandon, when I found out about Brandon taking over, I immediately went out and bought, I just went to my local Waterstones, which is the chain here in the UK that is the biggest one. And mm. I, I looked for a Brandon Sanderson book and I was like, okay. And I picked up Mistborn and I devoured Mistborn and Warbreaker and a couple other books very quickly before the first Wheel of Time that he, book that he wrote came out. So I was familiar with Brandon's style. So I suppose that's why it felt different to me when I read it, mm-hmm. because I could recognize this is Brandon imitating Robert. And I was, right. I could, I could feel, and it was only in the feel of, it wasn't the writing. There wasn't, you know, something specific he wrote. And I was like, oh, that's not at all how Robert Jordan would have written that. It's just kind of like the vibe or the feel of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, different writers have just a different kind of, like you said, a feel to the way that they write and, you know, like a cadence and a way that they describe things. And, you know, even trying to stay true to somebody else's um, kind of MO with that. You know, you can't suppress like who you are as a person and what you are as a person goes into what you write, you know. But yeah, I mean, going in as someone who had never read Sanderson, I did not find it to be, you know, jarring or anything like that. You know, I'm looking forward to getting back into it again, because there are so many things that I do not remember. And, you know, I didn't really think much initially of the way that Sanderson wrote Matt. Until I started hearing other people saying that they didn't like the way that he'd written Matt. And so now I'm like, okay, well, now I have to go back and read it to see the difference because <laughs> I did not pick up on it the first time. So, 
Yeah, for me, Matt, uh, and sorry, listeners, we've gone into a whole tangent here, but I'm going to, you know, you just have to listen and enjoy because that's the nature of yeah, the podcast. That's how I do it. <laughs> tangents tangents are part of the podcast. It's probably yeah, why it's I don't have a million people listening. Like- yeah. <laughs> but like the, it, Matt felt in Brandon's writings, like he had some, he had kind of accepted his place, um, you know, what, what, he had become in life what had fallen into his lap, you know, the band, mm. money, wife, all that sort of what, well, you know, uh, I can't remember if he was married at that point or not. I feel like he was. <laughs> the books blurred together yeah, so much. I can't remember when that, when that all went down in the books. Uh, anyone it else in the other have this issue? I can, I can separate seven Harry Potter books without even breaking a sweat, but I can't separate 14 <laughs> Wheel of Time books. So we, after, you've after arguably about, been reading longer. Yes, after about <laughs> book four, it's just a blur of which book they happen in, except for the last battle. <laughs> it's like that, like for the entire series for me. Like I'm pretty solid on whether or not something happened in the Eye of the World. Beyond that, I have no clue. <laughs> I, I always need, get like, a chart of like yeah. major plot beats with the fucking book that they go in because <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> I I always mix up the Dragon Reborn and the Great Hunt. I always think the Dragon Reborn is book two, and I'm like, no, no, the Dragon Reborn is not book two because no, he's that's not. He's not that's what he's announced. He's the Dragon Reborn. I always feel like he goes to tear and be like, okay, I, you know, withdraw calendar or something. So I, I do that one. So I feel your pain. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Anyway, he's kind of back to the, the Matt point. He kind of accepted, yes. you know, how his life had worked out at that point, and he just felt like he'd become comfortable with it. And that might have happened very quickly in, you know, in terms of the writing. But that's kind of how Matt came across to me. So when he was describing Boots, it kind of just it felt like something a comfortable in his where he is in life. Matt, it just felt very how he would describe the situation. But mm-hmm. it was very different to how he had tried to complain about anything or describe anything and the difference of being a noble and not a noble type thing. It was very different to anything he'd done before in that situation. So I can understand that people look at that or listen to it, read it and be like, that's not right. I can, I can appreciate that. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to keep an eye out for it the next, the next trip through because um, I can understand why people didn't like that because just based on that alone, like that isn't Matt. He's going to fight this shit tooth and nail till like the very end he's never gonna he's never going to accept whatever shit is coming to him because he's convinced that he wants to be lazy and just do whatever he wants <laughs> even though i don't think that's actually what he does want so no it's it's a facade he puts on i don't want responsibility absolutely. i don't want to be a hero i don't want to be this and it's like well it's not i want to do it but you know it's kind of like what i do so you know <laughs> You're a liar. Anyway, enough of the fun Matt tangents. You've only got about mm. 500 hours until you, of audio until you get to that point anyway. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> do you do? Was it one chapter an episode you do on the on the YouTube channel or two? That is what I'm doing right now. Um, I'm kind of crunched for time just in general in my life right now because I'm um, I left my I left college my senior year at the end of my senior year like six credits short of my bachelor's degree and so now 20 years later i'm finally finishing it so i'm taking three classes this semester and um between that and then having a bunch of people asking me to come on their shows i'm like all right i will do my stuff later (laughs) i have projects (laughs) and i'm talking with other people which i love going on other people's shows because it's just to me it's a fun chance to go and just like talk to 
sort of my friends about this thing that we really like. Um, so I almost never pass up those opportunities because it's just always such a good time. Um, but uh, yeah, once I'm done with school, I'm hoping that I might be able to do like longer episodes where I'm doing two chapters an episode or maybe do two videos a week so that I can get through it a little bit faster. Because at nice. this rate, I'll be doing this in like 20 years. And <laughs> <laughs> well, there's like, it's something stupid like 50 to 60 chapters a book. So if you do, you know, one chapter a week, that's a year per book, that's isn't a year. it? So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a couple so, of chapters a week yeah. sounds good. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I'm going to have to dial it up. And, you know, what I might do is, is uh, kind of try and, if I have a lot of time, sit down and record a bunch of them so that I've got like a stockpile. Mm-hmm. So then. You know, I can release multiple and just kind of keep ahead of everything. So we'll see how that goes. Nice. Okay. Well, let's <laughs> say now we've enjoyed the tangents, ladies and gents. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell it's going to be that kind of recording. Um, it's always we are... like that with me, and I'm sorry. That's <laughs> no, you don't need to apologize. It's fine. <laughs> you should have heard. I had Carolina on. Um, oh, what like a month ago now or something? She came on and we talked about the. Um, the woman called Norla who trained Cad Swain or we uh-huh. believe, uh, yeah, gave Cad Swain that lesson and um, the whole idea that, uh, that Norla is actually Nokomi. And it was quite a fun recording, but I think when I listened back and did the editing, about half the episode had no discussion that was involved with Norla or Cad Swain or Nokomi in the slightest. So <laughs> <That's awesome>. Caroline <laughs> yes. is a trip. That's really fun. Yeah. She's hilarious. So, uh, but we are talking today about, you know, I have the Amelin here, the Amelin seat. So we are talking about channelers, but specifically after the last battle and kind of where we think, you know, what we think happens to them. Uh, so I thought we would start with what would happen with the White Tower. That seems most logical um, to start there. Um, did you want to go first or would you like to hear what I think? Um well, I do have, I have lots of thoughts about this. I have given it a lot of, I have a lot of opinions about the White Tower in general. And, I should hope um, so. You are the Amazon seed, so. <laughs> it's true. Um, what I, I think the biggest thing that I would like to see them do different after the last battle is continue Egwene's program of actively seeking out young women to see if they can channel and, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, like active recruiting kind of thing because you know they ended up finding a lot of really strong channelers by you know encouraging people to come to them um in a very similar way to the to the black tower and you know it's just think about think about how many more sisters there would have been going into the last battle if they had been actively recruiting all this time oh gosh so many you know it would have made such a huge difference i mean just that just that short little. I'm going to get about now to look because um, there was just a short little trip um, for. I say the no, no, that's only of the two rivers. I'm going to say I've got a big giant map here, but that is only of the two rivers. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's not going to help me out here. Where's the map? There's the map. So they've barely. I'm just trying to think of going from Saladar to the White Tower. They've they've traipsed barely anywhere across the Westlands mm-hmm. um, on their journey from Saladar to the White Tower, and they've picked up. I, rem- I remember somewhere in the region of a thousand novices. Some this of whom, as you I'm say, saying. were very powerful. Like it was a fraction of the continent, and then like they had a boatload of young women coming just from the two rivers. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I mean, you've got Egwene, Nynaeve, and then they found what was they had about seven or eight with them when they bumped into Matt in mm-hmm. Lynn, and they'd left two or three behind that were still too young, but with instructions uh-huh. to 
you know, be sent later type thing. So what's yeah, that like I a dozen, a dozen women? That's crazy. Remind me, were those women that they got from the two rivers in general or just from Emmonsfield? I, I think so. Everyone, I think that was mostly from the, from Emmonsfield and the surrounding farms and such because okay, Emmonsfield was the focus for the battle and right. it was them leaving. And they, yeah, they is like, cause warriors came, warriors, soldiers, sorry, or whatever, you know, <laughs> farmers with pitchforks and bows and arrows, describe them how you will, um, came from the other towns in the two rivers to help Emmons Field. So it must have mm -hmm. only been Emmons Field. So unless they went and tested villages on their way out, I imagine it was just Emmons Field. Yeah. And I feel like if they had done that, like they would have said so. So yeah. Mm. So, okay. So we're looking at half a dozen ish just from the two, just from Emmons Field. And there are like three other towns in that district. So, you know, you could end up with almost 30 or more just from that one little tiny area. You yes. know, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's a missed opportunity. And, and I'm, I, I am always reminded when I get frustrated about how shitty the White Tower has been doing that, you know, they are being sabotaged from within. But mm -hmm. it's still like, come on, isn't there like a single person who was like, hey, maybe we should try to do something different. <laughs> yeah. How did no one in 3000 years or even let's be nice then let's say the last five to 600 years when it, you know, the decline was becoming noticeable as opposed to mm -hmm. just, well, there's not as many coming forward, but we're still okay. Like it was getting noticeable. How did no one be like, shall we go try and find some perhaps? Like, yeah, should we go you know? like, there's a lot of unused real estate in here. Like, I mean, you're, you're like a whole ass you're, cafeteria. Like exactly, it's like you you own a, like a, a shopping center or something, and footfall is down, so you don't advertise. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it, it like, makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But yeah, so that's one of the big things for me. Um, hoping that the tower would kind of continue what um, what Wayne started in terms of you know recruitment and, and building the tower back up again yeah i i agree that's I, th I think just the amount of novices they found and the concern that the shan chen the threat of the shan chen will sort of nudge them in the direction of we should probably try and find and train as many as possible um, oh you know i didn't even think about the, the shan chen part of that that you know, if they encroach further inward, they're going to start testing young women. And obviously, they're going to want to get to the, those young women first. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh, just now I've got I've, I've had a logistical issue <laughs> pop into my mind. There's so <laughs> few Aes Sedai, especially after the last battle, how let's say they comb the country over the next few years that isn't controlled by the Shan Chen. And, and let's say they pull in, let, let's be modest. Let's say they pull in another you know, they've, they've done a bare fraction of found a thousand. So let's say they pull in another 5,000 on top of that mm -hmm. by combing the rest of the country. That's probably a very moderate number to have picked, mm -hmm. but a lot of people have died. So it probably balances out. That's, right. you know, even with the novices, even if it takes you a few years, those novices, at least half of them are going to still be novices, I would imagine. So you've got, what, five to 6,000 novices? <laughs> like, you don't have enough sisters in the skeptic to teach them. <laughs> no, that's true. That is like, that's a huge logistical issue. Um, you know, and I feel like that means that they would need to revamp the way they teach, which mm. I feel like it's something that they need to do anyway. Um, you know, I feel like the proof is in the pudding between the way the White Tower does their business and the way the Black Tower does their business that, you know, they let the men 
use the power for everything. They learn how to do stuff for themselves. And they are therefore much more powerful, much more adept. And they have an entire tower full of people who are capable of, you know, going to battle and shit like that. And I mean, obviously, after the last battle, you're not going to need that necessarily. But, you know, some self some self led learning, I feel like is really the only way that you would be able to handle it. Yes, I I agree. Perhaps not at the speed that the Black Tower and perhaps even the Black Tower would, might be, you know, thinking, hey, we don't need to push the guys quite as hard now anymore. Yeah, we can, we um, can slow down a little bit. We can slow down and probably lower that death rate that naturally <laughs> rises when you push that hard. Yeah. Um, but th- there's surely a level of, you know, saying, okay, you can do, you, you, you have cold meals until you can learn to heat it properly. You know, I think that's a mm. you know a reasonable thing to to encourage them to do. Maybe not chores because chores are character building, and I agree that chores are character building. So I think that you know doing manual labor wouldn't be a horrible thing for novices to still do. Um, God knows, there's enough. There would be enough to <laughs> the tower would be squeaky clean. That's for sure. <laughs> with them, with that many people, jeez, wow. <laughs> you need to hire. You need to hire some kind of. Um, I don't know some some sort of like leads. I can't think of the, the position now. Like you know, you've got a head clerk for all the bookkeepers and such. You need. Um, uh-huh. uh, I can't think of the name of the position. Words elude me. Um, like housekeeping. But to, like, yeah. So yeah, like, like you know, like a yeah, like a like a head housekeeper just to be like right. Okay, so I've got three hundred novices doing this, two hundred novices doing that, <laughs> four hundred doing this. You know, it's a day off for the seven hundred there. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You'd have, now, you would have no need for servants in the White Tower in terms of No, you of really cleaning. wouldn't. Mm. Um, you know, and I think it's reasonable to ask people to take care of their own living space. Um, mm-hmm. How many of the kin are left? Because if they bring the kin into the fold, I mean, even a woman who can't channel that much can still teach. Like, you don't need to be able to blast a hole in the earth to teach somebody how to channel, right? I... Yeah. Well, so I I think oh I feel that the testing should be tweaked. Um, I I feel the testing is it was designed in a time when you know the breaking of the world was very fresh in everyone's minds and mm-hmm. male channelers going crazy was around. So you needed a certain level of strength out of a of a, a sister to mm-hmm. you know to enable to to meet the demands of said world. But right. I had this discussion with someone a couple of weeks ago. Um, in Road to Tarvalon's uh, Discord server with Amber and a couple others in the group. And whilst I agree, because they were like, well, you don't have to have the test quite so tough. You know, you, you don't turn them away uh, if they've refused on a third time or something like that, you know, because they don't have to be like battle larger type thing. You know, they could just be, you know, a teacher or such. And I was like, okay, that's fair. But if you had, you know, let's say you go to war, let's say the last battle happens or the Sean Chen attack or something in, in the situation we're using. If only one third of your group is strong enough, you know, to be a quote, you know, battle Azure Aes Sedai or, you know, deal with the world in extreme moments, you've eliminated two thirds of your tower, uh, two thirds of your, uh, uh, you know, appropriate force because the other third, you know, the other two thirds are, are not going to be up to par. That's not really the right way to describe it, but I feel like you might understand the gist I'm going for there. Yeah, no, I get where you're going with it. Uh, so, uh, well, I, counterpoint, mm-hmm. linking, and circles. That was their counterpoint, and I, I, I fully agreed with it. I wasn't sitting there saying like, "Oh, you can't 
can't possibly change the <laughs> testing. That was not, I was like, the testing needs to be changed, but you still need a certain level of ability and a certain level of strength of character out of the system to, to, you know, do the things that in extreme circumstances they would mm-hmm. be expected to handle. Um, so. Well, and uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just, I was just thinking that, um, you know, the, the number that die and such, um, I've, I've Googled now how many are left, by the way, uh, or not how many are left of the kin. Just a, uh-huh. There were 1,783 originally. God, so uh, I know, right? And after the last battle, I don't think it seems to say, which is frustrating. Were the kin uh, involved in the last battle or were they just kind of chilling? I feel like they were, weren't they doing most of their things with Elaine? They were helping out Elaine with gateways. Okay. Oh, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe what they could do, you know, because you, I think you do have a point that, you know, if, if you're going to especially, you know, battle Aja-wise and shit like that, you're going to want to have people who are of, you know, a, a significant sort of strength of character and strong in the power. Um, I wonder if there's a way that they could have, like, a kind of tiered system so let's say you're not strong enough to make it through the testing but that's okay we're not going to turn you out because you're still a perfectly capable person so you're Mm -hmm. not going to be an accepted anymore you've graduated you are this like maybe not even a tier but a branch like a a career path Mm -hmm. you know like we're talking about like job architecture here. So, yes. you know, you pass the testing, you become Aes Sedai and ergo are able to do, you know, you're in charge of this stuff. And then if you don't pass the accepted test or you don't want to take it or whatever, then, or the test to become Aes Sedai, then there's another path that you can go down. And that could be the people who are teaching and stuff like that, which means that the other sisters who want to be doing the research, who want to be doing all of the other stuff that they do, then they don't have to teach. They can focus on, you know, their research and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I had um, similar sort of ideas. So, I mean, initially, my my first thought was, well, they can just go to the kin, can't they? Um, because the kin will take everybody and the kin mm-hmm. will then immerse themselves in all the, the towns and villages and cities and, you know, on a cultural much lower down level help influence you know the world and you know and they would be eyes and ears for the tower as well type situation Mm. um but some people might not accept that because like well you know i can't be powerful in the kin in terms of position until i've you know got through the next 300 years um (laughs) so progressing on from that having you know this discussion in mind I thought that you would get, hopefully, ideally, you, you know, including the Sea Folk as well, but you would have some kind of um, trio of exchanges going on mm-hmm. between the White Tower, the Aeel, um, you know, hopefully the Sea Folk, potentially. Um, and then for some reason, I thought there was another group. So that's why I've said it in that manner. Um, but that's <laughs> it. And then the kin. But you would then, as was discussed about uh, with uh, Egwene, discussed with the wise ones about swapping apprentices and accepted, you know, you could do something similar between, I don't see the Aeel and Sea Folk swapping, to be honest, but between the Tower and the Sea Folk, um, just to. And then people could find an avenue that works for them. So you might have, because the Aeol will ha- you know, have wise ones and it doesn't matter about their abilities with the power. It's you know, mm-hmm. their ability as a woman 
you know, to, to command or be, you know, guide their clan chiefs or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever is needed of a wise one in that respect. Um, and those that are more suited to working weather and, you know, channeling air and things of like that could go be with the sea folk type thing. And you could almost have avenues like that. So, okay, well, you're not going to, you're not strong enough to be, quote, a full sister. Um, we have this other tier going on, I suppose. I mean, a different Aes Sedai, another name for it, perhaps. Um, but perhaps, you you know, after you train with a wise one, you'd be like, well, I'm not strong enough to be a sister, but, you know, I'd like to hang out and stay with the wise ones because power is not an issue with them. Mm-hmm. I really love living, you know, I really love being on the ocean and, you know, working with air and water and such, um, you know, go live with the sea folk. Same. I don't know. That was kind of my thought process about, you know, getting more channelers in, but having a place for everyone where they feel that they fit, they're valued. You know, it's not a case of, well, you're not strong enough to be this, so we'll just make you like the B version. Um, (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, that doesn't necessarily feel good. I mean, I could see the sort of exchange program between, you know, the sort of populations of channelers. You could even make it kind of like a study abroad where, Mm -hmm. you know, you take six months and you go and you apprentice with the sea folk. And then you take six months and you go apprentice with the Aiel and it could be compulsory or it could be if it's something that you want to do. And, you know, it just sort of, it, I, I feel like it would all be character building. I mean, just think about what the time with the Aiel did for Egwene. Exactly. Like that was, I feel like her time with the Aiel is really what prepared her most for what was coming in terms of being set up as Amerlin and shit like that. Yeah, like I fully you know, agree. Yeah, pre Aiel, I don't know that she would have been able to handle it as well as she did. Um, you know, so I guess, and I mean, the other piece too is okay. So, like, you've got all the different ajas. So you've got diplomats, and you've got logic people, logicians, or whatever. You've got um, the brown who like to do their research and shit like that. Now, why do you need to be strong in the power to be in any of those ajas? Like the only the only Aja where you actually really need to be strong in the power is the green, and that's because they're the army, and Fair. the power is your weapon. I I agree, and I would say that you could change the system to be that if there weren't a third of the country owned by a culture that enslaves channelers. I I don't feel the Shan Chen would be happy with the quota of what they've agreed to with Rand, and after a certain period of time, be like. Actually, we want some more. I don't know. Um, I think I lost the plot a little bit. Um, so you're you're coming back at it from the standpoint of if slash when the Shanshan decide to be dicks again. If you have people raised full sisters who aren't strong in the power, then that's going to be a problem in terms of holding them off. Yes, I, I okay. in in the after the last battle, I would be surprised and i'm not you know this is just my personal outlook on it obviously mm-hmm. i'm sure there's people that would think differently but i don't see the shan chen being happy with the peace they've been given by ran so to speak oh no and eventually not. yeah eventually just kicking off a war and wanting more and if you have a tower of sisters that aren't capable you know, you know, mentally, emotionally, and then in, in terms of power, you know, strength, being able to deal with that challenge, I, I just would see the tower not surviving it. Let me ask you this. Do you think that in a post-Last Battle world 
where the Shanshan are a real and present threat. Do you think that every sister should be trained in battle league? Like, basically, I'm talking about, like, mandatory military service. Not necessarily mandatory military service, but they should... It, yeah, I, I feel that with that ever-present threat, you should have some level of training for all sisters. I don't feel that would be an irresponsible or unnecessary, you know, a, a thing that wouldn't be it would would be considered unnecessary. Uh, remind me what happens because I mean, like Shaul is still up there. So what what happens with the blight at the end? Um, if I remember correctly, the blight just kind of starts to disappear in effect. Okay. Because I'm also thinking, like, how are they going to train if there isn't anything to fight? That's a valid point as well. <laughs> yes, if you don't have millions of Trollocs, to, you know, to... to But how did the Green Aja train? It's not as if the Green Aja went and spent, uh, you know, a year at the Blight to train themselves. So they Which is an issue it. that I have. But yes, they should have been doing that. That's a, Yeah, that's absolutely valid here because, you know, they, they sucked in the last battle. Um, <laughs> okay, so... So perhaps it's not a case of strength then, maybe just more, you know, strength of character and the ability to, you know, I mean, you don't want an Aes Sedai that's going to be in battle and then in, ideally to, to then crumble under the pressure, so to speak. Uh -huh. I mean, I know that there's no kind of foolproof training for any kind of battle situation. You know, that's, that's not something that's achievable. That's not mm -hmm. something that's reasonable to expect from a human being. But, um, you know, you don't want one that's going to turn and run at the, you know, the first arrow that lands near their foot or something. Um, what about, like, support roles? Because, you know, there's lots of stuff that happens kind of behind the scenes of a battle. It isn't just the fighting part of it. So, you know, you're obviously more likely to have yellow sisters actually doing healing and shit like that, mm -hmm. which makes sense. Um, you know... I guess my 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 thought is that uh, a sister who is not as strong in the power let's let's imagine a scenario where they make it so that you can become a full sister even if you're not super strong in the power. Yes. And you know what if then those women are relegated to um, like support roles so they're not actually out on the front line they're working on logistics and you know behind the scenes stuff rather yeah. than the fighting yeah that that is kind of yeah that as yeah you don't have to have um a certain strength level to be a full sister i i uh, through this conversation i've kind of thought yeah, well yes actually it's it, you know you're the uh, same as you don't need to be strong in the power to be a wise one in fact you don't even need to be a channel mm -hmm. to be a wise one similar principle yes that that's absolutely fair i just think a certain strength of character would be needed to to be a sister i don't i, I feel that that would be an appropriate requirement to have Mm. Same as you would have, you know, if um, they wouldn't take on a, a wise one apprentice that wasn't, you know, that and then made them a wise one when they weren't good enough to be a wise one. So yeah, they weren't enough of a badass. Yes. You know, just in our own world, you know, I know it does happen, so it's probably a poor example. But in theory, you shouldn't make someone a manager of other people until they're capable of being a manager of other people. I know in that's an a ideal really world, yeah. <laughs> in an ideal world. I know that's a really bad example. But, you know, perfect world situation. That's yeah, what you're talking for. the I, utopian ideal, then yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't think either of us are under the illusion that, uh, that yeah, that's always no. the case. <laughs> no, absolutely so, not. <laughs> but yeah, so at 
so the strength, yeah, that that can be next. Is, agree. There's there's many positions mm-hmm. that you know a sister can have on a day to day basis, in battle basis, in negotiations, or whatever the situation. Um, but I think strength of character is a is a requirement. Strength of will or ability, um, not necessarily strength, so to speak. Similar to the way the, the wise ones do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what do you think? about the black tower like do you think that they would ever at any point in the future uh sort of join up with the white tower and become like a unified population of Aes Sedai again I think that it would take a very long time I don't see it being an impossibility at all Mm -hmm. but I think the way that they've the the black tower has come about uh, at the end of the story, well, from, you know, from partway through the story through to the end, the way they've built themselves a base, the way they trained, what they've been through, um, and even once Sidene's been cleansed, they've you know still just been met with fear and trepidation and, all right, completely foiled, but attacks from sisters, um, that they would spend a lot of time being, you know, it... I, I feel perhaps they would just be, I see them being like, well, if we just fold ourselves straight into the White Tower now, it's, you know, almost like we're not worthy on our own right to be, you know, the Black Tower male channelers sort of thing. I know there's Mm -hmm. a certain level of arrogance that's been bred into them um, through their training and their situation where they would be like, well, no, we're the Black Tower. We can stand strong and separate and that's fine. And then... Over time, I feel quite a lot of time because obviously they're going to live for a good few hundred years, mm-hmm. that it would take a lot of time before that merging would take place. And then you've got the logistics of, well, we've got a big white tower. We've got a, you know, probably by then a big black tower as well mm-hmm. in terms of physical buildings as well as, you know, numbers of people. So I feel it would take a long time for them to find a middle ground. I mean, do all the, the male channelers move to the white tower, vice versa? Do they have both? In which case, how do you make it one tower? Uh, mm-hmm. you know? Just a lot of logistics and a lot of natural prejudice that has come from three three thousand years of you know male channelers are bad. That's that's got to be overcome by yeah, everybody. Yeah, I, I I feel like it would take generations, probably many generations, to get to the point where the the stigma and the stereotype has faded enough to make it possible. But mm-hmm. you know, it does. I, and you'll probably be you'll be better informed on this than I am that, you know, they obviously worked in tandem before the breaking. Yeah. That, you know, they were obviously, you know, everybody was, was working together as a sort of everybody was eyes at eye kind of thing. Um, so, you know, it, it seems like, it seems like this would be the opportunity for the wheel to be turning to the point where, you know, we get back to that, that place where, I said I are men and women, and everybody is living more or less in harmony. <laughs> now you've said that, I've just <laughs> suddenly had a think, a thought about the wheel. There's an age in the wheel where channeling is not known. So at some point in the turning of the wheel, channeling gets lost or forgotten. Um, oh, shit. And, so, and also, I said I has become, over the last 3,000 years, synonymous with women. And they've got their own Ashaman, you know, sort of set up now situation so merging those back are they just called Isidai once they've merged back together or do they do they then stay separate until quote the wheel turns and everything's forgotten and they you know that crumbles and then it you know starts again a few ages later or something um 
That's, uh, that's a very deep question I've just asked. They're all <laughs> posed. Where's Matt Hatch? Matt Hatch was here last week. Where's Where Matt Hatch? You? Oh, you need him, you know? <laughs> Matt, we need you. <laughs> I'm just going to be doing the speed dial. Wait, we're actually recording. Oh, no, the Dusty Wheel should have finished by now. We're actually recording on a Sunday night when Dusty Wheel was on, potentially. But nice. um, it's quarter. It's, uh, yeah, his show's probably just about finished. They're probably in the after show at this stage. <laughs> Innkeeper, take Matt. the wheel. yes innkeeper come take the wheel love that Um, uh, that's really interesting i i did not know that there was a turning of the wheel where channeling wasn't known not an entire turning so to speak but more one of the ages so a portion of it yes a portion of the wheel where there was no channeling so uh, with the nature of the wheel that it would suggest i don't think it's ever i'm not sure if it was ever confirmed by robert jordan but it would suggest that at one point channeling must have been lost for it to have been unknown in an age to then be discovered in an age um, that's wild so, yeah very crazy do you think that this age like the, the the post last battle age could be the age where that happens i oh i don't know i mean possibly i feel like with men just coming back into the game so to speak mm-hmm. um that potentially not that's kind of what I was thinking too, but then, you know, with the prejudice against male channelers, let's say that Cad Swain doesn't sort of move forward with the same kind of policies that Egwene had put in place, you know, if they kind of send everything backward, you know, it, it could be yeah. that, you know, what if what if what if the White Tower after this fades away into obscurity and becomes nothing but a legend? Very possible. The Black Tower would uh, I mean, if you go off the visions that Avienda had, the Black Tower becomes it gets eventually attacked by the Shan Chen and it becomes an underground movement. So there's every possibility that that could fade. You know, if we go the post-apocalyptic Shan Chen take over everything type situation, mm-hmm. then there's every opportunity that they get wiped out in that respect. Um, and then perhaps you know because channeling is is you know they they're not even second class citizens, Damani and, and that. You know, mm-hmm. you could possibly have channeling just naturally fade away from the population, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, the Talking about the Shanshan makes me think, okay, so we have Matt and Tuan. What do you think are the chances that Matt would be able to convince Tuan that this whole Demane bullshit is nonsense and they need to let it go? Especially given the revelation that in order to be able to use the Adam, um, the... Um, Oh, what's the... Oh, the Suldam? Yeah, the Suldam have to actually be able to channel in order to use it. Yeah, I think the way it worked out is that those that are the Mane are those born with the spark and Suldam are those that can learn. Um, so I, he would need to educate Tuan um, in a manner that she would actually come to believe in order for her to make the cultural change. Because when he initially says, well... You know, if you can control Demane, that means you can learn to channel. So how are you different? And she's like, well, that would, you know, I, I could murder someone. I don't choose to. I, I can't remember the exact phrasing of the, the point, but her, her point is, it, you know, paraphrasing it, that I could choose to murder someone, but I don't. And that's the difference, mm-hmm. suggesting that, you know, Demane are, you know, they don't have the control over it, um, which, which in a twisted way fits with the fact that they can't control the fact they're going to learn the channel. Because right. they just spark and they go with it in a very twisted sense of logic there. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel that he would need to educate her 
kind of the, the, the learning and sparking, there's not really a difference that one is just because one is optional and one is it happens doesn't mean that they're different classes of citizens or, or mm. you know parts of society or something. I feel that he would need to that was the be the point he needs to attack because if she accepts that, then she would need to accept that she is the same as Dabani. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, and I don't, that would be a very difficult conversation, a different, difficult thing for him to convince her of, I feel. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What, what What's your thoughts there? Um, I feel like it's really hard to say. Tuan is an interesting character because do we ever get any chapter from her POV? Uh, like one, two, possibly. There is one where she is, um, I don't, there's definitely one where he's, uh, she's made him. I can't remember the the title she's given. He's wearing Jean Chen war robes and such, and he's giving orders. He's like third in charge, technically speaking, at that stage. And he's mm-hmm. actually giving orders to the armies and such. And the, that bit of the chapter is from her point of view. You know, thinking about him and like, oh, he's doing this or he's doing that, and you know, she's observing him and making comments in her head. Um, mm-hmm. We get a few moments like that. Um, I feel like we get one or two earlier in the books as well that don't involve Matt's. But we don't necessarily get a lot of insight into her personality and her personal views. You know, we we get it from the outside where she is mm-hmm. obviously buying into the whole Shan Shan way of life and, you know, women who can channel our second class citizens and and all of this other stuff. She, you know, she she walks the walk or rather she talks the talk. But, um, you know, it's a possibility, maybe, that... She actually doesn't jive with any of this and would be open to the possibility of changing it. We just, we don't know, I, we, we don't know what's going on in her head. Indeed. I, I feel like, and I'm, I, I don't think it's about Damani in particular, but I seem to remember a line from her perspective, like her internal POV, thinking about Matt and questioning the, how could he believe something such as you know channeling does not make you you know worthy of slavery um Mm. how can he believe that but actually be this person that she trusts or you know uh, can believe in or or, i can't i I, I can't remember the the exact part of the book but it's almost like she's saying well how can you be such a great person someone i would trust someone that you know is reliable and knows their stuff but then also believe that we shouldn't be chaining channelers. And there's there's a questioning tone to that. And it's not a question of just like, oh, he's amazing, except this bit where he's an absolute muppet or a fuckwit. It's more <laughs> a case of like, well, yeah, there's English phrasing there, sorry. Um, I love it. <clears throat> is, uh, <laughs> it. It's more a case of like, well, he's got these awesome redeeming qualities. I say redeeming like he's a bad person. Um, but these awesome qualities that are really just make him such a great person and then also has this belief and it was kind of from the tone of like well if he's got these qualities that are like incredible and this belief there's got to be some kind of matchup between those two things it can't Mm -hmm. be a case of like i'm 90 percent an incredible person have amazing beliefs and you know just really be an upstanding citizen and then 10 percent of me is a psychopath uh, I mean, there's there's an argument the rule of partly, you know, crazy, obviously. Um, but that was kind of the tone. It was like, there's got to be some kind of worthy logic to link these two parts of him. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that was kind of the tone I got from her thought process there. So it is possible, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the fact that she questioned it indicates that there is, at the very least, the door is open a crack. Mm. And if it's approached the right way, then, you know, it might be possible to convince her. I think, I feel like, too, from from the, I'm remembering more of her POV stuff now, I think. And, you know, she lives in a world where she can't trust literally anybody. That is true. It's like the Shanshan do the game of houses on fucking steroids. <laughs> that shit is wild. And like you could just get killed at any point in time by your own siblings, for Christ's sake. Oh, yeah. And like your own siblings that you like, but you're like, well, you're a problem. So now I'm going to kill you. Like it's that's messed up. So, you know, I wonder if being married to Matt, who is overall a decent person who will treat her well, somebody that she can actually truly trust you know, maybe that would help to sort of open her eyes to the absolutely dysfunctional nature of their culture in general. And, you know, see her kind of wanting to dismantle that if possible. Yeah. Which would put her in like a billion times more danger. But I don't ever get the impression that she has a problem with that. No, she never comes across as very scared of any situation, does she? Um... Mm -mm. She's like, all right, well, you know, if I die, I die. But this (laughs) this is how we do. I'm like, Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> and a lot of the blood, if I remember correctly, a lot of the, the, the nobility in the Sean Chen have gone through various reasons and situations. And obviously Sean Chen itself is in just bloody civil war um, mm-hmm. going crazy. It's just been demolished. So it's kind of like, you know, if you kill and please don't pick me up FBI or whoever it is, MI5, <laughs> when you listen for keywords in broadcasts and such. But if you killed the queen... Because that's a phrase that's going to get me picked up by MI5. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Disclaimer, he does not mean actually a real queen. No, no, no. This is a hypothetical situation based on books, MI5 special agents listening. Um, Calm down, Who are listening for fun, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I I love doing that. I quite often be like, Brandon, I know you're listening. Talk, you know. (laughs) I do that sort of thing all the time. Um, But it would be like just having the queen and then killing out the next 50 people in line to the throne. Uh And suddenly the next person down is like, oh, well, I was just a caretaker at a school. Now I'm second in line to the throne. Yeah. Um, That's a bit scary. (laughs) So like she has this void between her and the blood going down, so to speak, the nobility. Uh They're all going to be new to it. Um, So she's probably got a a bit of a buffer of safety there because they're like, oh, I'm playing, you know, the game at a C plus level. And now suddenly I've got to move up to, you know, an A grade level of playing the game. (laughs) You know, that's a really good point, actually, that, you know, between everything being fucked back home and a good portion of the royal family being kind of wiped out, there is an opportunity for her to start planting the seeds of of something different. And, you know, that's encouraging. It is. And Matt's a persuasive guy. He's very earnest. He's very, you know, he's a scallywag. He's, Mm -hmm. He's a bit of a scoundrel. Um, but you know, he's charming. Yes. He's charming. He's persuasive. You know, he's, he has, you know, a good ethical compass and yeah, I, I could see him, you know, they already have an interesting relationship. Uh, Like put aside the fact that she's Sean Chen and believes in slavery and that like, which is, you know, all right. We're talking about fictional book characters here, people, because I know some people are like, I can't, I can't not think about the fact she does that, which I understand, but 
fictional black fictional characters here, ladies and gents. You know, put all that aside. Her just her relationship with Matt. That's a quirky, bloody relationship, isn't it? it? She puts him on the back foot in the most delightful way mm-hmm. because he tries his usual bullshit with her, and it doesn't work. And he does—he hasn't—he doesn't know what to do with that. He's absolutely flummoxed, and he likes it. And he likes it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, honestly, I think that Matt is Matt's not stupid, and I feel like. Because he is the aforementioned scallywag, people for most of his life haven't taken him seriously and haven't sort of given him any challenge to rise to. And what has happened through, you know, the like the lead up to the last battle, you know, there were challenges for him to rise to and he rose to them admirably. And it's the same thing with Tuan. She presents a challenge. She's something different. and. It turns out he has a type and it isn't a cute plump barmaid it's this standoffish empress who is has got the weirdest fucking worldviews mm-hmm. and it, you know treats him differently than any other person on the planet but then he also treats her quite differently to what she would expect mm-hmm. because he doesn't play by the nobility rules of Probably any nation out there, to be honest, as a yeah. just short gen. <laughs> he has no fucks about that. He's like, no, too much work. And it's and like she likes it too. She does. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. She's like, this is intriguing. This is, you know, this is not what I'm used to. This is this is different, but not in a I need to chop your head off way. More in a case of, hmm, there's that line, and you are you are flirting with it so much, you may as well like be the oh my god, you, you just. It's almost like you're running off and having children the line. You're flirting with it that much type situation. You know, it's. <laughs> you're flirting with that line so hard you're going to take it home. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I think that sort of, I feel like it maybe gives her a taste of uh, like what, like just, I don't want to say a casual relationship necessarily, but casual in the sense that he's not treating her like an empress. He's just treating her like a person. And mm-hmm. that has got to be a completely unique experience for her. And yes. she's just she's getting a taste of what life would be like if she were just somebody. And I think that that does something for her. Mm. And there's not a neediness to their relationship either. Mm-mm. I don't get a vibe from either of them that is like, well, you need to be by my side at all times. Mm-mm. No, Which not at all. It's refreshing to see, I have to say. I, I, yeah, I think it is. That's very... You know, it's um, there's a certain amount. There's there's definitely autonomy there. Um, it's the, the start of the relationship was so weird though, with just sort of like, (laughs) oh, okay. So this is a faded thing. So we're going to get married. Uh, and we have no choice about this. Well, and I, I love the way that Matt approached that in a sort of, all right, well, I guess I'll try and make the best of this. (laughs) Yeah. It was like (laughs) the most bizarre arranged. Like he was just like, all right, she's kind of cute. So. It's like the world's most bizarre arranged marriage, wasn't it? Seriously. You know, it's like the creator. You shall marry. You know, <laughs> I can't do a deep like cre- quote, cre- you know, cliche creator type voice. So, um, yeah, I had to goof around and do the Stephen Hawking one there. But like- um, <laughs> yeah, like she's getting foretelling on the on the ship over. He's got foretelling from uh, the Elfin or the Elfin. I can't remember which one it is. Gives you answers as opposed to objects. Um, so they've both been had this foretelling of oh you're going to marry these pe- this this person and they both get there and all right she's not there straight away but you know she is just like all right cool and he's like yeah it's my wife 
guess this is happening. So, yeah. all right, funny. <laughs> okay, so we've got um, uh, like a Isodai two point We've got um, Sean Chen slow, possibly changing view. We've got Black Tower being arrogant and stubborn in their corner. Um, that that's. Uh, Probably a fun collection of situations for those. What do we think might happen with the Aeol? Are they running back to the waste? Are they hanging out in the wetlands? What do we think with their channelers? What are the wise ones going to say? You know, that's really, that's an interesting question, and I have not given it a lot of thought. Um, I'm inclined to say that they're going to go back to the waste. And the reason that I say that is because I don't think, to the best of my recollection, none of them assimilated into wetlander culture in any way no, i don't I think the- remember hearing anything about any of them deciding that they like baths like i don't think even avienda was like oh hell yeah i love a bubble bath you know <laughs> like i i don't i don't recall reading about any of them sort of integrating into wetlander culture so that being the case i don't see why they'd stay hmm. i mean they are the uh, the arbiters, the police, whatever you want to call it. I can't remember the phrases in the books, but of the dragon's piece, they are the mm. the enforcers of borders and disputes and things of that nature. So I can, I can see them leaving a contingent and maybe rotate, yeah. rotating out the contingent to to keep it, you know, to keep things in line. But you know, yeah, as, like send, as send a collective, a I don't, I don't. Honestly, I don't see them settling permanently. Yeah, I mean, unless they settle in what was formerly the Blight. And I think they'd get along well with the Borderlanders if they did do that. It's it's not really, and that's not going to be any more effective at helping them police the Westlands than being in the Waste. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree that they would head back. Uh, in terms of the Channelers, because that's more of the focus for this recording, uh, um, what is... Have we been recording? We have not been recording. Why is... Sorry, we're going to do a weird tangent now. The recording says we've been recording for two hours. Oh, mine says an hour and two minutes. <laughs> mine says two hours and two minutes. That's hilarious. I'm just looking at the screen and notice that. <laughs> <laughs> Clock changed yesterday, stupid machine. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yesterday, this morning, technically. Um, but with the channelers, I... So, really on, are they... That's going to be interesting. We're getting into a bit more of like the IEL culture as opposed to channeling here, but mm. wise ones going, you know, clan chiefs going to learn the history of the IEL seems a bit redundant, doesn't it? It does seem a little bit redundant because everybody knows now. Mm. So now this is actually interesting because we talked about this a little bit um, be- just before this when we were recording Tarvalon After Dark. Um, oh, we were talking about <laughs> we were talking about like our our favorite scenes or like points in the book, and we were talking about when Avienda goes through Ruidian the second time and she sees the Aiel's future as opposed to their past. So mm. perhaps what happens when uh, potential clan chiefs and wise ones go through that trial? What they end up seeing is instead the potential future of the Aiel as a tool to help them guide their people moving forward instead of sort of guarding this quote-unquote shameful part of their past. Yes, I I initially had that thought as well. And then what occurred to me was you've got like 10, 11, 12 clans plus wise ones. So you've 
if you sent every clan chief and every wise one to have future viewings, so to speak, that's going to be a lot of people trying to direct the Aeel as a whole, or are they going to focus that down at clan level, perhaps, now that I've said this sentence out loud? <laughs> um, oh. I mean, I feel like it would probably be at clan level, right? They do not, they don't really seem to have any kind of, like, overarching governance over all the clans outside of the Kara Karn, right? Yes, Unless indeed. I'm and getting something. Yeah. No, and, and you know, I don't see Rand um, coming back to be like, hey, like I've hidden myself <laughs> from the wetlanders, <laughs> but I'm going to come back and be your king. Yeah, I don't see him doing that. So, no, I don't see that either. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it could work as a at a clan level. Um, I mean, there's a fine balance there for whether that would benefit or negate any possible benefit if 12, 15 different people are going in different directions. But Well, and I mean, I think that like – it would be naive to imagine that they would continue living in peace and prosperity when this enormous blow has been made to their their way of life and who they think they are as a people. So, you know, it doesn't seem unreasonable that, okay, the wise ones and the clan chiefs go through, they get the future vision, each clan does the best they can to, you know, kind of manage the clans with a view to that future. And then you'll inevitably end up having clans who are interpreting it differently or think that they should focus on something else. And there will be a uh, conflict. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's and the clans might be fighting amongst themselves. It's yeah, I think that's a valid assumption. Are the the wise ones? Are they still doing the um, there's like a set of rings they go through first to become apprentices, don't they? Um, I think it's rings. Um, uh, I can't remember. I, I believe it was, was it rings for Aes Sedai and rings for the Yeah, there was like a weird parallel, right? There um, was, yes. But I know it's archways for Accepted because I discussed it on the Leafcast show last, on the last Tavern show on Sunday last week. So I know that it's archways for Accepted, but. Archways doesn't feel right for wise one apprentices. No, it was um shit, I don't remember. Um Google, come to my rescue. <laughs> <laughs> Help me, Mr. Google. So but I, I I think they would still I don't feel the wise ones would change how they train their apprentices, with the possible exception of doing you know, the summer abroad training program. Yeah, I think oh, excuse me, I think that what they have seems to work for them. So it's a sort of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what we're saying is the White Tower's broke, the Black Tower's broke, the Shard Chain are broke, but the Aeol, they're good. It's all good. The Aeol <laughs> seem to be fine. They seem to be okay. Um, I mean, there are some things like, well, here, okay, here's something. Um, the um, Sidene has been cleansed. There's no more taint. Uh, so they're not <sighs> oh, going to need to send their male channelers out on suicide missions anymore this is true are they going to the black tower or That's are they really going to question. try like i remember that the wise ones were very resistant to the idea of sending their apprentices to the white tower mm -hmm. they were sort of like hell no you're not getting your hooks into our apprentices yes so i would assume Ooh. that they would feel the same way about the men but they would also not want to lose the men that would spark because Normally they would run off to the blight, but obviously as we just said that's not the case anymore. So, and was it one in four die when they try and figure it out themselves or something of that nature? 
no, one in four survive, sorry. Um, three out of four die. Uh, at least that's the case for the women, so I presume mm. it's something similar for the men. Hmm. Do they perhaps try and strike a bargain with the Black Tower and like, send us a couple of teachers until we can teach ourselves, perhaps? I mean, Not that go would, to that the tower, like, but... It, it seems like the smart way to do it, bring somebody in who already knows what's happening, but by the same token, you know, they're still a pretty insular people. Do you think that they would be more open to bringing in outsiders? A specialist, like, perhaps. Hmm. Um, I, I feel I could see them making an exception for a specialist or two, as opposed to allowing in a whole group or culture, so to speak. Because um, it does seem like a better idea to bring in a subject matter expert rather than trying to learn it themselves. Yeah, I, I don't feel they're arrogant enough or... Um, what's the word for when you don't let other people into your area or culture or whatever? Uh, xenophobic, is that right? Yeah, xenophobic. Yeah, I don't feel they're xenophobic enough to be like, you can't come in, even though that used to be a case of no wetlanders except Gleeman, Tuafan, and uh, before Lamin Sin, Karian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I don't, with their experiences in the wetlands, the fact that they are now policing the wetlands, I feel there's enough cultural exposure between the two sides of the spine of the world to not have them be so shocked at having black tower teachers in the waste mm-hmm. but i don't see them sending their apprentices to the tower in Caimlin. yeah i don't i, I like don't that. i don't see that either i mean yeah. maybe eventually but immediately afterward i don't I don't see it. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, there might be some sort of common ground. I mean, there could be something. And now, this has just opened up my whole thought process of what do they become? Do they become male, wise ones? That's another really good question. Or do they change their criteria for clan chieftains? And in order to be a clan chief, you need to be able to channel. Possible, but it's not a requirement to be a wise one. That's true. Not. I don't. I mean, that might. Might be how they view it. They might see that as a strength, um, especially if the Black Tower are training them initially because the Black mm. Tower are initially trained as weapons. So they obviously diversify. They're, they're English, Rob, diversify. <laughs> Say the word correctly. I oh, believe God. you. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't think I'd narrate sections of the book occasionally for fun, would you? Um, no. I listen, I have to say, sometimes I see Kate and Michael on their Instagram account and they do those little videos and things and I, I watch them and listen and I'm thinking, oof, I'm so far away from doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I am so far. I, 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 there was one section, just digress for a moment, one section I was watching Kate narrate a scene from uh, The Rhythm of War, I believe it was, or the, no, the Way of Time Prime. Way mm. of Time Prime. Way of Kings Prime. <laughs> <laughs> We have no idea what's happening. Hey, no idea. It's okay. We promise we're not drunk. Uh, well, I promise I'm not drunk. I'm I can't speak sober, for Jess. <laughs> there we go. We're both sober. Um, but anyway, she said a sentence and then she stopped. Mm, I lost the M there. And I was like, huh? Did you? I listened back. It said that sounded flawless to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, please, please don't listen to anything I ever narrate. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worthy. No. Oh, no. God, that's uh, funny. Uh, I, but, like, um, I like the idea of there being a, a, a dude equivalent of the wise ones. Mm. You know, I do like a, this idea as well. Yeah, so you, you basically sort of double your, uh, your um, advisory board. <clears throat> Cue the wacky idea. Here we go. 
The Black Tower go and train the male channelers in the Aeol society. The White Tower sticks out being a little snobbish and a bit like, well, we're not going to cultivate everybody from the whole of the Westlands because, you know, what, what, you know, we survived. So obviously what we were doing worked for us. And the Black Tower loves being, you know, helping to teach the Aeol. They enjoy the, you know, the cultural crossover going on there. And they move because they don't like the White Tower. They want to be away from the Shanchen and everything like that. And then you get your female channelers and your male channelers working together in cohesion and cooperation in the Aeol Waste. And they become the new Aes Sedai of the future, so to speak, as it goes back to Aes Sedai being both male and female channelers as opposed to just female channelers. Wacky idea I love it. I absolutely love it. The White Tower is broken beyond repair. It is so entrenched in its old broken ways that it cannot reasonably expect to move forward and eventually peters out into nothingness and channelers start going to the new tower in the Io Waste. The, the Black Tower is stained with treachery and evil, thanks to Taim. And yeah, just it, just guy. a slow migration. The Aeol will demonstrate male and female channelers working together in a single situation in cooperation and cohesion. And yes, it will Everybody reforge. Everybody gets a fresh start the, in the desert. Yes, fresh start in the desert. Lovely. And we'll call it, I don't know, because um, the Grey Tower is always what pops into your head when you think about merging the Black Tower and the White Tower. But uh, then it's like, well, that's like the Grey Archer took over. And yeah. uh, <laughs> my friend Tree, who's a Grey Archer, would be like, yes, that sounds amazing. But <laughs> not the intention. Um, I The first thing that sprang to my head was the Sandcastle. So that's, I'm no help. <laughs> <laughs> the sand, and ladies and gents, we have found today's episode title. <laughs> What is the <laughs> the White Tower becomes the Sand Castle? Listen to find out why or how. <laughs> I love that the Sand Castle. Oh god, <laughs> that is brilliant. <laughs> oh, you want to know what? It would probably have some kind of like really badass Aiel type name, though. Yes, we like need to find out. They would abandon Western naming conventions. Yes. Okay, so now I need to find some kind of old tongue combination of um of some words to to you know formulate a new name for the tower uh, for this new tower so what is sandcastle in the old tongue um <laughs> that's hey, what Google. we'll call it <laughs> i did this i just made up my own phrase for my youtube channel um time for honey cakes and then we went googling and there was no word for honey really so the, the yes there is no word for honey in the old tongue and uh, so I was asking around and uh, a couple of people came back to me and said, well, um, Pavara came back to me and uh, she said, well, there, yes, you're right. There is no word for, for honey in the old tongue, but um, there is a word for bee, as in bubble, you know, bees that make honey, honeybees. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a word for bees. And um, then she said, well, you could either use like water or river, um, river of bees, honey, you know, um, bee water or bee river. Um, and sort of use that word. Mm, delicious and bee so water. Like, oh, mm. uh, that both sound interesting, but when you actually looked at the old tongue word for water and the old tongue word for river, it was uh, river sounded a lot better. And where is it? One second. Uh, where's my notepad? 
The old tongue word for river was drell. Uh-huh. D-R-E-L-L-E. And the old tongue word for water was, like, just kind of dull. So, and the word for bees is sook. So, uh, cakes is quatan, and um, time four is nice again. Well, the the, the kind of uh, analogy we came to for, for saying something in the old tongue was whatever sounds best is how it's put together, because when you analyze multiple old tongue sayings, they never, you know, sometimes they're in sequence of how you would say it in quote regular, t- you know, common uh-huh. tongue. And sometimes it's totally out of sequence and it just kind of see, well, what fits, what flows better. So yeah, um, there yeah. doesn't seem to be a lot of grammatical rules. No, if you translated it word for word, it would be, um, be river cakes time four. No, four time. <laughs> but there must be a word for sand and castle in the old tongue. I will look that up and I will name the episode Sandcastles yes. in the Old Tongue. There's yes. got to be some way I can do this. Yes. I love it. This is fun. This I'm going to do it. We need to, we need to do a follow up episode on expanding the, 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 this sandcastle idea. I love this idea. This is, yeah, this is hilarious. I very much would like to like follow up on that and do some, some thinking about what that would actually look like. <laughs> this is brilliant. <laughs> Do you, we, we've been recording for coming out towards an hour and a half. Do you have, is there anything else you were desperate to cross? Or I feel like this is a fun finishing point of the episode. Yeah, I think this is a good place to stop. I didn't have any, anything yeah. else that I wanted to no. talk about particularly. So, But we will definitely, uh, I, I, well, if you'd like to, I would love to have you back and we'll, we'll do the Sandcastle. Oh, I would love episode, to do that. That would be fun. I would love to do that. I'm sure we can find someone fun to come and join us as well to be uh-huh. like, hey, Jess and I had this idea for a sandcastle in the Aiel <laughs> Desert uh, as the future of the tower. Would you like to join us and talk about it? And they'd be like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> yes, weirdos. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, wherever you are to the podcast, I hope you've enjoyed the, the shenanigans and the tangents. <laughs> <laughs> Love to hear your feedback about the sandcastle idea yes. or, or any discussion that we've <laughs> that's been had on the podcast. So you can email malkiertalks at gmail.com. You can join my Discord server. You can find me at Twitter at Malkiria, and you can also find my Wheel of Time based dad jokes on there, which are tan jokes. If I you are love listening on jokes, by the way. <laughs> I'm glad you like them. <laughs> if you're listening on release day, you have missed the competition. So hopefully you you are not a new listener to the podcast or you at least follow me on Twitter because there is the great Tam Joke competition that starts uh, from time of recording in five days, four days, four days. Um, but from the time the podcast comes out, you would have missed the grand final because this comes out on the 9th and the grand final is on the 7th. So hopefully you were there and checked that out. If not, go over and follow me on Twitter and such and you can catch up on everything. The live stream will be on my YouTube channel and uh, you can then be there for when I do the next Tam joke search in six months. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I, as, as Jess already said, she enjoys the jokes. So. <laughs> Speaking of I'm YouTube, a sucker for a dad joke. <laughs> they're great. I started doing it one day. I was just like, I, I just came up with one randomly. I'd, I'd have to go back and look at whatever the, the first joke I ever made was. Um, I should probably have that made in something. It'd be like the first ever Tam joke. Um, <laughs> 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 then I, a, a, few ju- a few just occurred to me. So I started doing them and then people were liking them. So I was like, I'm just going to keep doing it. And here I am 12 months, well, not 12 months later, but, you know, 10 months later, nine months later. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, what have I got myself in for now? And people send me jokes now. This is amazing. <laughs> it's <laughs> taken like, on a life of its own and it's beautiful. 
people like, can I send you a joke? I'm like, of course you can send me a joke. Just tell me your Twitter handle so I can credit you for the joke because I want to do that. But yeah, by all means. So also, if you have a dad joke that's Wheel of Time based you want to send to me, or you're like, I've got a vague idea. I'm not sure how to word it. I've had people do that in the past. Then send it to me. Come on, send it to me. All those things I've just mentioned. You're doing the Please community. go check out the YouTube Sorry? I said you're doing the community a service. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I get some eye rolls occasionally. <laughs> it's you know, always funny. It's funny when and people... dad jokes are one of those things where you either love them or you hate them. Mm-hmm. Like there but is when you no hate them, you still have you still have an appreciation because you're like, oh, I hate this, but I want to see how bad it is. There's there's still I you know occasionally I get people that will reply or um, even quote the tweet and then put a message on it. Obviously, I get notified either way, and it's like. Okay, this one actually made me laugh. <laughs> I regularly <laughs> like the, the jokes, but then it'd be like, "All right, you actually made me laugh on this occasion." Okay, or, I, this this was the one good dad joke ever. <laughs> yeah, they were like, "All right, you know, so, what did someone do?" I'm gonna have to look. Someone did one the other week, and they were like, "Oh, this one's actually funny or something of that nature." <laughs> I was like, "I'm glad you enjoyed it, Jen from um, Weekly Wheel News." Uh huh. Not Weekly Wheel News. Jen from uh, does all the merch, everyone, and, yeah. and works with uh, Rob from Weekly. Yeah. yeah, new creations. There we go. Um, she quite often on the Twitter. Oh no, on Instagram. Well, because uh, I, I just screenshot the, the jokes and put them over on Instagram so people can see them. And uh, she quite often to be like, "Oh, you got an eye roll." No, oh, this one actually got a laugh. I think, but I get lots <laughs> of replies out of her. But uh, yeah, someone shared one the other week, and they were like, "Oh wow, this one was actually quite funny." Uh, and I was like, I'm glad you enjoyed. Somebody even shared it once. And, um, but, uh, and, and they were like, oh, um, can't believe how bad this is. And I was like, well, if it was that bad, why did you, um, <laughs> why did you share it? Why did it? you feel the need to say anything about it? <laughs> and I feel, I feel I'm they were sharing like, now. <laughs> yeah, I feel they were doing it in a good way. Like, oh my God, this is so like bad in a, in a good way that I need to share. I can't, uh-huh. this is too far back. I can't find it on Twitter now, but um, yeah, it was my hilarious. Dad, so. My dad has a recurring dad joke. It's been going on for decades at this point. Um, a, a number of years ago, he went to Austria for work. And of course, in Austria, they speak German. Dankeschön mm-hmm. is German for thank you. And now he says, instead of Dankeschön, he says donkey shorts. <laughs> <laughs> and I laugh my ass off every single time. Like 25 years later, I'm still busting my shit when my dad says donkey shorts. Nice. So freaking Love funny. It. That's brilliant. Yeah. So what what you're hearing, ladies and gents, if you don't already follow me on Twitter for the jokes, go and do that because they're awesome. Yeah, Even they're if you just fun. want eye rolls. Yeah. <laughs> so as as mentioned with the YouTube, go, go check that out as well. I do the narrations on there. I cook. Um, I've got a few cooking videos coming up soon, so um, if you want to see, I've got a, a, a secret dish I've discovered from Emmons Field that no one has Ooh. ever talked about. Jess, you can find out once we stop recording. Yay. And um, yes, I'm going to make that. I tried to make that last week and had many technical fails. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, many te- I had technical fails with the like, one of my cameras, and then I had a technical fail with the sound, and it just went... Oh. That's the universe telling you that the world is not ready. Yes, it's like the world's not ready for this. I'll remake it in a couple of weeks. So uh, <laughs> that, yeah, that's that'll that'll be out in a, in a couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, I've got some other food things to follow it. So, um, but yeah, so please check those out and uh, like, subscribe, follow all those sorts of things. And uh, if you want to support the content I'm making and uh, you know get some amazing benefits in the process, 
please consider joining the Patreon family. There's uh, many, many benefits up for grabs and some awesome family members in there. And I say family members because I, they feel like family to me. Aww. And everything that goes into the Patreon goes towards improving the channel, be that better cameras that apparently I need um, <laughs> or software or giveaways, uh, you know, all those sorts of things. So, um, and of course, if you just want to like and listen and enjoy, then that's absolutely fine too. I love having you around here. I love doing this. Jess, it's been awesome having you on. Thank you Thank so, you much, so for much for joining. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. We'll definitely do it again and uh, we'll follow up on the Sandcastle episode. But until next time, everybody, may you always find water and shade. Yeah.